Welcome to the Fem Health Podcast, where we focus on providing clarity and evidence-based facts in female health and wellness. The internet, or as us physicians like to say, Dr. Google, can be overwhelming for patients seeking reliable information. And unfortunately, not all of that information is backed by research, science, and real doctors. Here, we pride ourselves on demystifying medicine for you and giving you access to some of the most talented medical doctors who are experts in their field. I'm your host, Dr. Sayanagori, and I interview doctors so you can have an inside look at what I would ask my colleagues if I had a medical question. Let's get started with today's episode. So hi, everyone. I want to welcome Dr. Jen Lincoln. Um, she's a board-certified OBGYN and international board-certified lactation consultant. She practices in Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much for being here, Jen. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, I, of course. I'm really excited to talk about what we're talking about yeah. today. Um, so before we get into the actual topic, uh, can you tell everyone sort of um, what brought you into being an OBGYN and also your lactation training? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I was one of those kids growing up, I always wanted to be a doctor, although I never quite knew what, and then I did my rotations. Um, I went to Tulane uh, University School of Medicine in New Orleans, and I was there during Hurricane Katrina. And so most of my third year rotations, I actually did in Houston when we were evacuated there. And I did my OBGYN rotation at Ben Taub Hospital, which is a community hospital with lots of babies being born. And as a medical student, I got to do so many deliveries which would not have happened had I been at my home institution. Um, so it's kind of like it was a nice, it's a nice benefit with all the craziness that we've gone through. <laughs> right. um, and I just, I loved it. And I loved the, not just doing the deliveries, which is what everyone thinks of when they think of OBGYNs, but I love the ability. To, there's so much advocacy work, um, you know, speaking up for women's health. You are there in these intimate moments. You have a chance to really change a woman's life. Um, and just give her the care that she deserves. Um, and then you do get to do fun stuff like help people have babies. And in terms of the breastfeeding stuff, it was when I had my own, my oldest, he's now, oh my gosh, he's nine and a half. Um, I had my chief year of residency and I was breastfeeding and I realized at that time how poorly I had been educated in breastfeeding. And I think that's changing, but we still do not teach our doctors in training enough. And so I pursued additional training after that. Um, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah, no, I think lactation is a super fascinating field. As mm -hmm. you know, I have a seven-week-old at home, and so I am completely fascinated by yeah. the whole concept <laughs> of it. Yeah. Um, and even though I knew about it, I was, I'm still amazed when I look down and I'm like, whoa, like oh, there's yeah. milk coming out of my body. It's crazy. It's just, it's crazy. And you can go down the rabbit hole of like the chemistry of breast milk and the physiology. And when you're a physician, that's like, that's the stuff that gets you going. And you just realize there's just so much to learn. And when you, and it's another public health thing, just like with women's health, it's not just in the office. It's how do we support women if they choose to breastfeed, how we can best do that. And we're pretty, we're not so great at it as a country. We're getting better. Um, but we as physicians, we need to be advocates for women. So. Agree, agree. And, you know, it kind of brings me to the topic that we're going to talk about is um, telemedicine. And so mm -hmm. I actually, in the middle of COVID had a virtual lactation consultant, mm -hmm. um, to help me um, because my, my son wouldn't latch. And uh, unfortunately he still hasn't, but, uh, but it was really nice to be able to have that option and, and be yes. able to see someone virtually because I thought that, you know, 
how would they even be able to help me because they're not there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, between me and my husband, um, who was able to hold the camera, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) we were actually able to do a lactation visit and I got a lot of good tips, um, and, and, you know, just some tricks to use and and try. And, uh, that was really, really helpful and comforting to just Mm -hmm. even talk to someone, um, about what I was going through and, um, sort of know that it was okay that he wasn't latching and, Mm -hmm you know, just sort of how to troubleshoot and move on to the next step. Yeah. Um, so what can we do via telemedicine um, from an OBGYN's perspective? Like, what do you think we should do um, that would be appropriate via mm-hmm. telemedicine? If you can just start off and let us know, you know, a few things that you as a doctor feel comfortable um, yeah. with your patients seeking virtual care for. Yeah. So I think if we want to talk about one silver lining of COVID is that telemedicine got pushed to the forefront. And I think, I mean, I'm probably speaking to the choir here, but so much of what we're doing now, we should have been doing many years ago because we've had the technical capability to do it. And historically, we as physicians haven't because insurance companies have not reimbursed for it. So, and that might sound kind of cold, but it's hard to keep your practice doors open if you're not getting reimbursed for what you're doing. So now the insurance companies have stepped up and I'm hoping that they realize there's a demand and that if they try to take away telemedicine coverage, patients um, speak up. Um, So, so much of what, you know, I think that it only makes sense that we're doing this because there is so much. And if we were just talking about women's health, I can think of so many things that are appropriate for a telemedicine visit. And you think about the basic things that we counsel so many women for, it doesn't really require an office visit. So let's talk about contraceptive counseling, going through your birth control options, um, menopausal medicine, talking about you know issues with menopause, um, hormone replacement therapy, um, even prenatal care to a degree can absolutely fit in the telemedicine space. And that's the one I'm most excited about because when we think about how prenatal care is delivered in this country versus other countries like in the UK, here in the United States, we have a lot more in-person visits. And it's not to say that I don't want to see my patients in the office. It's just, do they need the number of visits they have? And we have lots of papers and studies about this. Um, You know, does bringing people in more translate to better pregnancy outcomes? Or is it just bringing them in at the right times and supplementing it either through group prenatal care or virtual prenatal care at other times? And I compare it to Europe because they've got, you know, they do fewer visits and their outcomes aren't that different. Um, And I think about, you know, when when you're having, you're pregnant with your first, maybe you've got more time to go in. But if you're on your second, your third, your fourth kid, I've seen so many women who just barely come to their visits because they don't have somebody who's going to care for their other children or they can't, uh, you know, any woman, we talk about access to care. They can't afford to be able to take off from work because of course our visit hours are terrible, right? They're business hours during the week when everybody else is working. Right. Um, Or we think about restrictions in, you know, we call these women's healthcare deserts where there's not an OBGYN office within 50 miles. And those offices have closed because of malpractice. So why and everything else that we can do, you know, we can Zoom call, we can FaceTime, we can do all these things. Like, why would we not integrate that in medical care as well? Um, So I think there's a lot of of room for that. Totally. On prenatal care, I totally agree with you. There were um, definitely some visits where the only sort of physical thing that was being done during my prenatal visit was um, a blood pressure and a urine urine sample. And I definitely think that with, um, especially now with COVID, Mm -hmm. um, people you know, it, it wouldn't be so unreasonable to ask a family to just have a good blood pressure cuff at home. Yes. Um, and you could probably, you know, use your FSA uh, dollars to, uh, mm-hmm. excuse me, your um, HSA dollars to 
um, pay for something like that and have a blood pressure yeah. cuff at home. Yeah. Um, even for my my newborn, actually, um, we did a couple of the visits via telemedicine and we actually just tracked his weight mm -hmm. at home and had a televisit with a pediatrician. Um, right. And so yeah. I definitely think that there's definitely space um, in prenatal care to, to do those mm -hmm. visits, but it, it needs to yeah. be sort of integrated with, you know, the doctor that you see in person. Right. Um, right. Versus and the society, yeah, it's, it can vary based on, you know, what the, what each clinic is able to do, um, the size of the clinic, that sort of thing for sure. Um, what's nice is we do have some national guidance. So the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, they're the organization of high-risk OBGYNs. They put out a really nice paper just to serve as a template for here's how you would do this in the time of COVID with the, um, the main focus on decreasing need to come in, infection risk, that sort of thing. But we can extrapolate that anytime. And so they talk about which visits you know, are important, which ones we can potentially do at home. And a lot of it, like you said, prefaces that women who are pregnant at this time should have a blood pressure cuff at home, um, you know, should be able to weigh themselves um, and potentially um, even have a little Doppler, which up until this point, I've always told women, I said, don't ever buy those because you're just going to listen and you're stress yourself out and there's no evidence that it decreases any outcomes. And now here I am, I'm like, you know, you should really get one of those things. <laughs> because if you can do your, you check your fetal heart tones and, you know, the doctor's listening at the same time and you've got your blood pressure cuff and your blood pressure is normal, we don't even need a urine sample. So much of what we're doing is counseling and preparation and education. And maybe it will actually shift some of what we're doing more into the education space. Um, so I think that's a great example of how. Um, you know, I know when I, when I was pregnant with my second, having to haul my then four-year-old in, it was a pain in the butt. And I would have loved to have just called in and said, listen, I took my blood pressure, you know. Um, but a lot of this, I think, is super important to think about just access to care. Right. You know, now when we're thinking about equitable care, we're thinking about maternal mortality, how it's higher for um, women of color in this country, especially black women, um, when it comes to morbidity and mortality around pregnancy. Um, can we use telemedicine to reach these women to, you know, maybe they're not able to take off from work. Maybe they're not, they don't have a doctor they trust. Is there somebody that they can call in and they see somebody who looks like them or that they trust that they can connect with in a virtual space? Um, I think that's a really exciting um, way that we could see telemedicine kind of integrating and, and reaching out to these women who might not have those resources. Yeah, I like to think about sort of access um, in, in, in terms of economics like can they mm -hmm. afford it um geography is it you know reasonable for them to actually right. drive an hour or two hours for each right. um visit and i live in the dc area and quite honestly with traffic i would drive an hour each week yeah. for my <laughs> my yeah. ob and yeah. so like if i actually lived in in a place that wasn't even so accessible um i could imagine that you know it might mm -hmm. be 90 minutes to your ob um which is really it's a lot of time um yep. to do so frequently um and then the third way i like to think about it is uh sort of political access right like so mm -hmm. um that's not really on the sort of pregnancy side but if you're seeking mm -hmm. contraception um, you know a lot of young women are like not able to seek contraception because of who they live with or mm -hmm. what you know demographic they live around um and so i think that those three ways of access um, really give telemedicine a huge boost now because um, it's more private. Um, yes. And, and in yes. many ways, it's, it's more personal because I know when I see patients via telemedicine, I'm looking at their face the whole time mm -hmm. um, versus sometimes in the office, I'm kind of yeah, on my computer yeah. mm -hmm. exactly. you know, yeah. trying to 
type as fast as I possibly yeah. can. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just a, a quick note about insurance, which you had mentioned earlier, which mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of touch on. The other issue, and I, I do agree with you, I hope insurance continues to reimburse telemedicine mm-hmm. um, so that more people have access. Uh, a lot of people that use insurance go to their insurance website to find their mm-hmm. doctor, right? So mm-hmm. um, if insurance companies are not reimbursing telemedicine, they may not even list a doctor mm-hmm. that provides virtual care because it's not going to come in. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it is really important that insurance companies continue to reimburse yes, um, absolutely. telemedicine. And, and that's really on the people to make sure that the voices are heard. To, yes. um, unfortunately, as much as doctors would like to continue providing it, mm-hmm. um, it needs to be, the energy needs to come from the masses. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. Um, and I agree. I think the contraception, co- contraception piece of telemedicine is like the most exciting to me because that is at my core, the idea that women should be able to um, make the choices that they want for their bodies and it should not be dictated by the state that you live in Right. Or like you said, who you live with, um, and they won't take you to the doctor. Or you know, you're 17 and you don't have a license, and yet the closest clinic is two hours away. Um, I think that telemedicine for contraception can be a great equalizer, um, and can work in a way. You know, some of these telemedicine places. You know, okay, so now you've mailed out the birth control pill, and also now there's an app that can remind you to take it, and when your refills are due, and can just take away so a lot of the user error. Um, and again, if we can have the iPhone 11 we're up to that can do some pretty amazing things, why can we not also use this technology to keep us healthier? So I think it's, um, you know, not everything is appropriate on telemedicine, but for a lot of things, um, it can really be a game changer. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. And so now that you've said that, I also mm-hmm. will draw on my own experience here. I had a high-risk pregnancy, mm-hmm. and so I was actually going to maternal fetal medicine, getting those uh, my SD ratio checked mm-hmm. and uh, ultrasounds and yeah. uh, some pretty heavy duty uh, visits uh, yeah. leading up to my C-section. And so, you know, obviously some of those visits were not, could not be done. Right. Right. Exactly. Medicine. So, yeah. um, you know, if you can just sort of touch on mm-hmm. what else do you think really should just not be done? Yeah. And I I think, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it's funny in this time of COVID, you know, sometimes we're spending more time convincing people, no, no, you really do need to come in now because this, yeah. you know, your blood pressure is at a dangerous level or your baby's not, you know, growing at a rate that I'm comfortable with not having you come in and have an ultrasound. So for sure, sometimes, um, you know, the computers are great, but not for everything. Um, so when it comes to women's health, there are some things, you know, I can't do a pap smear virtually. I would love to, if you can invent <laughs> that app, I'm all for it. Um, so, you know, some basic screening and, and we know, and we're seeing that women, I mean, men too, but we're putting off maintenance care. So it is important that you're still getting your annual breast exam, that you're getting your pap smear when it's due, that, you know, if your IUD has expired a couple years ago, like you should come on in. So there's just some things that we can't do. Um, I also think that I wish I could do more. You know, I've had people who've said, well, I've got this bump on my vulva or I have this rash. Um, And sometimes, you know, it just doesn't translate well over, you know, the, and it doesn't mean we can't have a virtual visit to chat about it. But if I determine, you know what, that's just that I would be giving you substandard care. If I was trying to do this virtually, um, you know, then you need to come in unless it's a perfect story for something, you know, we might want you to come in and give a sample of something before we just call in antibiotics. And 
And so it's just important to understand that if you do call in and your provider says, I can't handle that over the phone, it's not because we're trying to be annoying. We, we're trying to keep you out too in the time of pandemic, but even when it's not, mm -hmm. um, there's just some things we cannot do, um, you know, virtually. And just going back, one thing I just popped in my head that I didn't mention before, a lot of what we do, um, you know, relation to women's health, mental health stuff. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm excited yeah. about telemedicine. So yeah. anything related to perinatal mood disorders or anything that has to do with anxiety, depression, therapy, like why should somebody have to get in a car and drive to sit on their therapist's couch for an hour when they could do it here? And I'm not saying that that personal connection isn't important, but think about how much more people might seek care if they could mm -hmm. do it from the comfort of their own home. So that's another thing I think that is great too. So. And be private about it, right? So yes. I remember like, you know, when I would go see my therapist, um, you know, I was always sort of looking out in the waiting room, making sure that, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not by any means ashamed that, mm -hmm. you know, I had a yeah. psychologist who helped me through some tough times in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I didn't want to really run into someone yeah. well, I knew and the in the waiting room. stigma is there. And some yeah. people don't want to share that. And if you're in a small town where there's that one person that you talk to and Again, it should not be stigmatized, but you have the right to privacy. Um, it's just the same in a small town if you're going to a certain clinic to get birth control and now everybody knows your business. And so I do think that telemedicine can help put some of the confidentiality back in things that in certain communities where it might be concerning. Yeah, totally. And so talk uh -huh. to me a little bit also about confi so talk to me a little bit about uh, confidentiality mm -hmm. in the virtual world. Like what yes. sort of things do we need to worry about or ask ourselves or ask mm -hmm. our doctor? Yeah, so it's important if you as a physician, you're providing telemedicine care, you know, you're not just like at a coffee shop on your phone and you're Zooming with somebody, you're FaceTiming and you're like, yeah, I can fit this in. It's, you know, that you're using a secure connection and obviously your organization will have gone through all of that and you'll have mm -hmm. the appropriate paperwork and, and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important to realize that the confidentiality that applies in the office also applies here. And so I've had some teenagers who've asked me like, are you going to tell my mom that I'm on birth control? Are you going to tell my dad that I told you I was having sex? And I think it's really important to know that we are held to the same laws, which is that we don't disclose anything unless you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else or, you know, there's criminal activity. Mm -hmm. um, and if anybody has ever done that, maybe that's something that's been the most concerning about using social media mm -hmm. is the number of messages I've gotten from, you know, from teenage girls telling me that isn't what happened. That my doctor did tell my mother this, like that's against the law. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but when it comes to telemedicine, the same exact thing is there. And so if I'm at home doing a telemedicine session, you know, I don't have my husband in the background or I'm not out in my backyard where my neighbor could hear me. It's very much, we treat it with just the same respect that we do. This is our exam room and this is your space and we're not going to record it and share it or anything like that. Yeah, no, totally. I 100% agree. Again, I think that when I'm practicing telemedicine and even I do a lot of um, education for doctors on telemedicine and what they mm -hmm. should be doing. And, you know, right now um, in, well, in March, basically it was announced by uh, CMS that we could use FaceTime and Facebook Messenger and these other ways to see patients virtually. Mm -hmm. And while that may, you know, have been technically allowed, mm -hmm. I always encourage doctors just find a HIPAA secure platform and just send a right. secure link because there's many out there. It's easy to use. Absolutely. Yeah. In an absolute scenario where for some reason, you know, the, the site has crashed or the link mm -hmm. isn't working and things like that. Uh, yes, you can definitely resort to FaceTime. I mean, the answer mm -hmm. in that situation is not to not see the patient, but right. you know, I definitely think that there's a lot of tools that are out there. Um, 
to, to establish these secure connections. Yes. So yeah. uh, I definitely think that's a reasonable ask. Uh, yeah. From no, from I totally most, agree. <laughs> well, from most people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, it just makes it also feel like a little bit more of a appropriate and proper visit rather than just right exactly know, doing yeah. FaceTime or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, any final thoughts on telemedicine and anything else that you think, you know, young women or well, any, any women of any age really mm-hmm. should know about using virtual care in, in women's health, either something that you've seen that's wildly inappropriate use or mm-hmm. something that's being underutilized. Yeah. I think it's just, it's really important just to hit that message home that telemedicine is awesome, but it's not the cure-all. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, we cannot, you know, we are really, we want to be important and make sure we're not missing things. So if your doctor is saying, I need you to come in, or it sounds like this is a, this is more than I can handle. We don't want you to put off care so much that then when you are finally seen, it's a bigger problem. So, you know, yeah, you are telling me you're having sex, but you don't want to come in to get tested. Can I just give you this antibiotic? And I said, no, you know, that's not really ideal. Um, or, um, you know, telemedicine can be great for so many things in that, you know, if you're feeling embarrassed to talk about certain things in the office, it can, it can feel a little bit, you know, better here just because you're not having your mom drive you and wait in the waiting room. So telemedicine for women's health can be certainly awesome. It can help fill in some gaps. It can help you get access to care if you're not able to, but do just know that some things are not appropriate. And I think, we are not trying to make your life hard by having you come in. Sometimes you just need to have a pelvic exam. And I know it doesn't sound fun, but to to, to just ignore a problem for three years because it sounds uncomfortable, it could be a much bigger problem. Um, And I think just vet your sources. Just like if you were picking a doctor, you wouldn't just... Google and pick the first one that comes up, or maybe you would, but like you would want to make sure they seem legit, right? Like you would do more. And the same thing with the telemedicine service, they are not all created equal. And so I believe that you should look um, and make sure that they are legitimate, that it's that they've got, um, you know, people working there who are appropriately credentialed. Um, And when it comes to using testing services, that you make sure that they are using labs that are approved by the FDA and that sort of thing. Um, because there are, there, just mm-hmm. look at how many people popped up, you know, mail order COVID tests. And you're like, well, is that really legit right. or not? So just do your homework. And if you're not sure, um, you know, reach out to your doctor or somebody and say, hey, can you help me? I'm trying to find this. And are they legitimate or not? And it's pretty, you can usually figure out pretty obvious or pretty quickly um, because it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah, you definitely want to make sure there's a doctor behind the visit that you're yes. seeing. Yeah. You don't want it just to be, you know, it's an emergency medicine person who's filling in, they're, they're making money by calling in scripts for this. Like, do they actually have the training to be able to interpret your, you know, or counsel you on your birth control needs or, you know, just to make sure that it's legitimate. Thankfully, I feel like that's more the case these days because, you know, we do have the internet. We're able to compare and hold people accountable, but just, just be aware that not everything's created equal, just like physicians and, you know, clinics face-to-face, everything's different too. So yeah, no, vet your sources and mm-hmm. um, make sure you're doing your due diligence and research when mm-hmm. you're picking a platform or picking a virtual doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully more and more doctors will be offering virtual services. Mm-hmm. So you may even be able to see your regular doctor virtually yes. um, yeah. as well, which is really nice. And I think actually what you mentioned is a great point for doctors as well. And I know that I definitely abide by this when I see patients virtually is you have to have a low threshold as a physician to say, come Mm -hmm. into the office. And I think that especially in a pandemic, we are really struggling with this decision Mm -hmm. because 
there is a risk to bringing someone into the office. Right. Uh, so I think that, you know, for me, I really am very, very careful depending on what kind of patient, you know, what's mm-hmm. their risk demographic before I say, you know what, I don't think this is going to be working out virtually anymore. Right. We need to see you in the office. And um, I think it's important to keep that going even once this pandemic is over to say, mm-hmm. well, you know, I, I don't think we've really appropriately addressed this and we've tried a few things and they haven't worked. Right. Um, right. So it's time to take it to the next level. Right. And, you don't uh, want to lower your standards just because it seems easier or you think the patient will be more satisfied if right. you just go with it. You know, we could hand, that would be great. We'd have great reviews, but sometimes yeah. you have to say, I just, you know, I can, I thought this would be appropriate. It's not. And I think it's just important at the start of every visit that you just say, you know, and keep in mind, if this comes up, we'll have to bring you in. Um, and I think and that, most people get that because they want to feel that you're caring for them. You know, they want to be taken care of. And that can be tough for doctors. And I'm sure you feel the same way mm-hmm. that, you know, you do worry about your online reviews and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a patient's going to be upset when you tell them to come yes. in or you right. tell them that, you know, they need to be seen more frequently. But at yeah. the end of the day, you just have to really stick with your gut and, and yes. know that it, you got to yeah. do what you have to do. And, yeah. and sometimes yeah. patients aren't going to be the happiest to yeah. come in frequently. Or... Yeah. I think online reviews, that's a whole other ball of wax. So yeah. That's a whole other, <laughs> a whole other yeah, you just always, <laughs> you just have to do, you know, what you ethically, you know, we took an oath to not do any harm. And sometimes, um, you know, it's doing the hard thing, but again, the majority of people want to feel cared for. And I don't know if you've seen this, but the people I've experienced who've been able to get this telemedicine, they're like, I am just so thankful that, you know, we are in the midst of a pandemic and I'm still able to talk to my doctor. Like if this had happened 30 years ago, we would be in such a more difficult even, place. Yeah. So. Even maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. No, I told. I, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think like iPhone one's camera was even close <laughs> to what the cameras are now. Oh, no. And, and between the healthcare issues and the homeschooling, like, we, I don't know. I think the world will just be, like, we'd be done. We'd just reboot and be done. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, the Spanish yeah. flu lasted two years, so hopefully, yeah. hopefully. No, I can't handle that. Just one day at a time. That's all I can. I know. Well, thank you so much for giving us all this yeah. great information and talking to me about, as you know, one of my favorite topics, yeah. uh, telemedicine. But where can people Absolutely. find you online, your social media and website or anything like that? Yeah. So I have a website, um, drjenniferlincoln.com, just drjenniferlincoln.com. Um, and from there, or you can just go directly. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. That's yes, you are a huge TikTok star. <laughs> Everyone needs to go watch her TikTok videos. Did not want to join whatsoever. And now it's like, you know, like well, now, said, now you're it's, like, it's, you've got a know. huge following. It's, so good job. Uh, yeah. It's all, it's all those, it's, it's kind of like, I joke, it's like the telemedicine education standpoint or, or um, aspect of care. It's no direct medical advice, but it's, you know, it's education just in a different way. Um, but same thing, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. So, so yeah. that's both on Instagram and on TikTok. Yes. Dr. And TikTok. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's DR yeah. for doctor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, great. Thank you so much for being here and for, you know, giving us your time and a really great discussion and, you know, hope to have many more with you. Thanks for listening to the Fem Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcast content. If you want to hear more from us, follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and threads at Fem Health Project. Can't wait to see you there.